Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot making headlines after announcing she would only conduct one-on-one interviews with black and brown reporters. Going live now to the mayor's press office. Good afternoon. Um, Mayor Lightfoot will be out shortly to take any black and brown reporter questions that you may have. Now, I know the mayor wants to discuss the dramatic increase in homicides over the past year, uh, particularly in the inner city communities. Now, she's going to elaborate on her plan to drive crime out of those areas and into any neighborhood that has a Whole Foods. Some housekeeping. The Chicago Film Office has announced a new initiative to attract more film and TV production for the city. They will be offering tax incentives for any companies owned by traditionally marginalized people like Tyler Perry or Oprah Winfrey. Also effective immediately, uh, in our efforts to combat racism, we are limiting the number of white photographers at these press conferences to zero. Uh, Also no Asians, I'm sorry, you're kind of white adjacent. I'm told the mayor will be joining us momentarily. Uh, She will be joined by Colin Kaepernick, who she has decreed by executive order will be the new starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. So kneel for the anthem, stand up for equality, and sit down for a three-season win, Max. But first, questionable material with Quintavious and G-Money. You are listening to Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a mostly improvised podcast produced in New York by Jack Helmuth and Brian Sack. QMPodcast.com. Hi, Brian. Hi. Oh, hi. You're one, uh, typically on a podcast, uh, the, the hosts sort of match each other's energy. And today I was sort of coming with big, happy, fun energy. But you just, you went into the hi, Brian, and I haven't even started the phone call thing yet. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot the word. <laughs> I forgot that part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to cool, hang up, let's, I'm gonna hang up on hang you up now, and then we'll try this all over again. Okay. Let's, let's do it. <clears throat> okay. Ethnic cleansers. Oh, hi. Um, I was wondering if um, uh, about the different packages you offer. Well, uh, we have, you know, a, a full house package. We can do, uh, we can send three people to do the entire house, uh, depending on the size of your house, of course. And we do it by room. And, and if you give us a breakdown of your house, we can give you a, a solid price on that. Uh, we have a, a one man crew, which is obviously for smaller jobs. But for bigger jobs, on average, we'll send three people over. Okay. Um, but, but what if, you know, what if the Armenians that I'm trying to remove from society uh, aren't just uh, sort of isolated to one house? Oh, my, you don't sound Turkish. Uh, well, no, listen, uh, this, is, um, this is a cleaning company. We're, we're a maid service. Uh, uh-huh. We kind of came up with the name Ethnic Cleansers a while back before... I guess it became trendy. And uh, so uh, there was some confusion. People do kind of call us wanting to get rid of Armenians or or Jews or gypsies or or various people. And, and we, we make it very clear that that's not what we do. Uh, we did issue a coupon years ago that caused a little bit of confusion. Um, but um, in general, we just clean houses. We're not interested in any, any kind of uh, actual ethnic cleansing. 
We just called ourselves ethnic cleansers because uh, we are a, we're owned by a variety of people. We have a, a gentleman from Serbia. Uh, we have a, a Croatian, a German, and and we have a Lithuanian. In my son's little league, there's this Armenian kid, and he's just so pompous. He's like, he's, you know, he's pretty good, you know, for an Armenian at least. He's a pretty good player, and they, he just needs to go. They need to go. And what sport is that? It's baseball. Yeah, well, the Armenians are, are kind of, they're built. They've got, they're big boned people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good that's more cleaning for you to do is you clean the skin and blood right off of their bones. No, no. I'm saying they're, they're big bone, meaning they're good swinging a bat. Like they, they probably are powerful hitters and, or even powerful hitters and, mm-hmm. and get home runs a lot. And I can see where that disturbs you and, and you'd want to have them um, removed from society. But like, I, like I said, we just really just focus on houses. Now you mentioned a coupon and look, if they're Two facts about me that anyone who loves me knows. One, I hate the Armenians. And two, I love to save money. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about this coupon that you offered for a while? Yes. uh, We said the coupon was, it said, we'll get rid of all your problems. And it it did have a picture of uh, gypsies and Armenians and uh, Jews and even Italians. And, uh, but we meant dirt. We meant like a dirty house is a problem. The stock photo was kind of misleading, and I believe people felt like we were encouraging some kind of a genocide or ethnic cleansing. And of course, it did say ethnic cleansers down in the bottom, and sure, and I, our website. Well, I was also I was also confused by some of the like the various packages that you offered. Uh, that it felt a little bit misleading. Like so, that there's there's the 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 drive them into the sea package. What, yeah. what, now, what is that? Well, then we, we literally will clean your house thoroughly from top to bottom and then put everything in the, con- in the, in a pickup truck and drive it to the ocean and dump everything into the ocean. Okay. A, that's misleading. And B, why would someone choose that as a waste <laughs> disposal method? Well, because then it's gone. You know, sometimes you'd think about stuff sitting in a landfill and it makes you feel sad. But Mm -hmm. when you think about it in the ocean, floating around, making fishermen happy as maybe like an old stuffed animal floats by them and they just kind of look at it and it gives them a smile. It's just a better feeling for a lot of people. That's why we have the drive them to the sea package. Huh. Okay. I I was very confused when I went to your website. Um, it also says here um, that um, it says something here about Slobodan's crew. Like what's Slobodan's crew? Slobodan's crew is uh, one of our, as I mentioned, we had a Serbian and uh, and a Croatian and, and such. And uh, we have one of our members of a former Yugoslavia and, and Slobodan uh, works for us. Um, he is uh, very energetic. He's very motivated. He loves to clean. Uh, when he, when he heard about the company, he, he applied and he said he'd, he'd be willing to work for, for very little. Okay. And what, what's his, what's his last name? I'm sorry. It's, it's, I, you may have gone through a tunnel from your office. What say it again? It's Milosevic. Okay. It's okay, uh, good. it's a classic name. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and you know, he's, he's a hard worker. He, he mm-hmm. really has a lot of gusto, uh, elbow mm-hmm. grease. He likes to hide. 
from authorities. And he's a really, he's just a very, just determined a cleaner. I feel like you did a background check and you want me to get off of this topic. You know, I, the other problem we had was the, the, the Jewish problem, a coupon. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, apolitical on the Jews, but uh, it's those goddamn Armenians. But, but w- what was the Jewish package? Well, that problem? was, that was, uh, as you may know, uh, the Jews have menorahs to hold mm-hmm. candles for Hanukkah and those menor- that wax gets down in the little candle holders and it's a real pain to clean. And so yeah. the Jewish problem package was to, to help clean uh, menorahs. It was a thorough cleaning of your menorahs. But of course that sent all the wrong messages and boy, did we get a lot of flack on Twitter? Yeah, I, I, I bet you did. Gosh. Um, do you get a lot of calls about that one? Yeah, we get a lot of calls from the House of Representatives. Oh, mm-hmm. um, we have some real fans there, uh, but they misunderstand <laughs> what the package is. Is then, uh, and then as soon as I tell them it's a menorah cleaning, uh, they just they they swear at me and uh, and hang up. Wow. Well, I'm 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 sorry that you you know so innocently start this company and 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 get all this this flack. I, you know, I I may want to kill our all Armenians and wipe them from the face of the earth, but I'm not a bad guy, and I feel for you, brother. Thank you. You know, it's 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 hard enough to run a business these days without people judging you just based on your name and yeah. leaving you one star reviews on Yelp and Google just to punish wow. you for a name that they don't like. It's very unfair, and I blame the dirty Italians. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jack. How's that for matching your energy? You really, (laughs) you really match my energy. I really, I'm so glad that this is the first time we're sort of starting off the podcast and with matching energies. Jack, I am filled with vim and vigor. That's huge. How do you get your vim these days? I had three cups of coffee, Jack. Okay. And that was my breakfast and lunch. Is that true? That's all you've had? Pretty much. Uh, why have you not had food today? I kind of, I like to practice being in a hunger strike in case I'm ever, you know, jailed by a, a terrible government mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> for being a dissident or whatever. And I, I just practice not eating. But these days, that's a smart thing to practice. Yes. And so I just kind of, I walk around just, and I, I perfected my I'm hungry face and I kind of do that. And my wife will say, what are you doing? Why don't you just have lunch? And I'll say, I'm on a practice hunger strike, Jack. You say that to your wife? Yes. And she's like, I'm not Jack. Why do you keep calling me Jack? And I said, because you look like Jack. (laughs) Well, thank you. Your wife is very pretty. So that means a lot to me. Um, Okay. So, but then you stop practicing your hunger strike at around dinner time. Yes. And that's when I'm starving. And then I pretend like I've been released from kidnappers who are starving me. And then I just, I just eat like a, it's disgusting. Actually. I don't even use utensils. I just wolf it all down. And I'm very territorial. If you come near my plate, I'll punch you. (laughs) The kids hate that. Your your kids must hate you. Yeah. Your family must hate you. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of angst and anger and fear at dinner time. Yeah. Now, do you ever sometimes just pretend that, um, Instead of like this heroic escape, do you ever sort of practice like do you completely give up and um, succumb to the will of the government or or whatever power that you have and have sold out perhaps your your friends, allies, or families? Sometimes I do turn my friends in. 
Mm-hmm. I'll let the government know like, yeah, she's actually undocumented. <laughs> and of course my wife is furious at me for that. <laughs> I bet. I mean, you know, for, for new listeners, that's, we're referring to Brian's wife, who is a Polish uh, immigrant. I call her an Emma Gray. Whatever you want to call her. I'm not going to get into semantics. Either way, she doesn't belong here. You're right. I'm going to call ethnic cleansers. <laughs> um, well, Brian. Yes. Lots of things to talk about. And as we're sort of talking about personal things and personal lives, I thought it might be a good time right now to talk about, do you remember Rob, our old editor from the BS of A? From the TV show? Yes, I do remember Rob. Why? Well, very exciting news for for listeners who used to watch the old TV show. Rob, our um, intrepid editor uh, and and dear friend, is expecting a baby in about a week. Oh, is that that, that soon, really? Yeah, that soon. She just posted a, a 38-week picture. So, I mean, she could, for all we know, you know, it would not be a surprise if she was in labor right now. Who wow. the heck knows? It, it could happen any day. So, very excited for Rob. I remember his Christmas card. There was a little picture of a, of a baby in a sonogram thingy. Yeah, it was yeah. really sweet. All right, then. Well, they're good for him. So, yeah, it's really wonderful. And, and, his, and his lovely and wonderful wife, BJ. So, anyway, this got me thinking that um, it might be a good time and helpful to Rob, who I know loves the show, listens all the time. Yeah. And is probably going to be, you know, listening, you know, in the first days of his uh, fatherhood. Of course, because, you know, when you're a new father, you have nothing but time to listen to podcasts. I totally understand that. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing more soothing than listening to the, the dulcet tones of Jack and Brian as yeah. they riff on jokes and improvise bits. That's right. So now I'm going to do just that and okay. uh, pretend that you're an author of a baby book I and um, and and you'll give advice as if you know what you're talking about. You ready? I did write a baby book. Oh, you did. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I I was going to say that we we're just improvising. But so you did. You wrote a book on on, on baby. What's it called? Babies, a manual for babies. <laughs> so wait a minute. Babies, a manual for, ba- like, are you calling people who can't raise their kids well babies? Yes. Oh, because it seems confrontational. It seems like, you know, when, when that's a playground taunt, you're acting like a baby. A kind of, yeah. And in fact, the cover is me giving the reader the finger. So it is kind <laughs> of the that. cover. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I had a really good contract. You know, the publisher couldn't do anything. Uh, well, gosh, I mean, I'm not sure. If I was buying that book, you know, a lot of books are gifted. I'm not sure I would choose that book. Yeah, well, that was a feeling. I mean, and that was kind of reflected in the sales of the book, mm-hmm. which uh, were pretty bad. And HarperCollins this, was furious. I bet. Both of them. Yeah. Both Har- Bob yeah. Harper and Steve Collins. Very mad. <laughs> Very mad. It's too bad you couldn't get into the other publishing house, the big one in New York. Uh, Tim Simon and Jack Schuster. Yeah. Or Marty Penguin. Yeah, no, it's too bad you and Marty split ways. <laughs> anyway. It happens. So clearly, so clearly it was, you know, an issue of optics that, that, that hurt your book, yeah. but not the content of the book. And right. I remember reading the book 
and, and, you know, at first I sort of felt very attacked, but once I opened it up, I just found so much wonderful information there. So I was wondering for, for the sake of Rob and any other new uh, parents out there who might be listening, I was wondering, can you give us some advice on babies? Absolutely. I mean, the book was filled. It's 323 pages of nothing but advice from a new dad to future new dads. That's awesome. That's yeah. uh, it's such a helpful book. I wish I had that book when I was a new dad. You know, let's start off uh, your advice in chapter one. It just talks about your time in the hospital, birthing yeah. day. Yeah, you start off day. with. Yep. So birthing day, of course, is the day the baby comes out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes out, um, it's, it's kind of shocked and screamy and, and, and covered in placenta and, and unpleasant fluids. But you mm-hmm. really need to forget about that. And you need to focus on the fact that there are a bunch of strangers looking at your wife's vajiggles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you need to just kind of police that. And so oh, okay. I just circled around the, my wife's bed and, and just said, don't you be looking at that. Don't you be looking at that. And, you know, it was very understandably disconcerting for the doctors and the, the nurses and the, the residents and everything. And, um, and I just, I did my job as, as a new dad uh, and protected my wife's vajiggles. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'll, I mean, I, if they l- stared there for more than, you know, one second, they'd get a little whack on the back of the head, just the, my palm, <laughs> just, to, just to kind of let them know that I, I was aware that they were looking. Yeah, of course. And, and um, I, I remember that you, you screamed at, at somebody in the nursing, because I remember the story, you screamed something at, at one of the, the nurses or doctors in, during the delivery. What was that? I, I said, get your hands off Buster. Oh, oh, Buster, was your son? That was the name I chose for my son. And which of course was upsetting to my wife who said, wait a second, we never discussed this. Buster is not one of the names on the list. Sure. And I looked at her and said, what are you going to do about it? Fatigo. (laughs) Wow. I called her Fatigo. That's a really strange and aggressive tone that matches your book. Yeah. And she was tired because she'd been in labor for 18 hours. Mm-hmm. So, and it really, it really, you know, I, I could tell it got her. I saw the, the love die in her eyes. <laughs> I've, I've seen that a time or two. And it's supposed to be a joyous moment, the birth of a child. And I really made sure that we all understood like this baby will die someday. <laughs> Jesus. And that's, I, I walked around telling everybody on the floor. <laughs> what? You gotta, you gotta be realistic and you gotta get out there and let people know. <laughs> that life is, is hard and it always ends with a fatality. And that was so my birth like- announcement. <laughs> that was your birth announcement? Yes. We had, it was a big pullout and you could fold. It just said life is hard and it always ends with a fatality. And then you open it up and there's a picture introducing Buster and his birth date, <laughs> his weight and, and time and all that information. And then I had a photo of the doctor's, Kind of, you know, it was more of them asking me to leave. Uh-huh. So it's just, they're kind of pointing at me and, and, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of, I'm backing out of the room as I'm taking photos. But it was kind of the inspiration for the cover of my book. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Ah, jeez. So, you, so you, you really like to um, point out the fact that life isn't all just blessings. Right. That there's some curses in life too. Yep. You know, you want to get- and you've just cursed a new child- to a, a, a death someday that they will worry about their own death and suffer and die someday. 
Yep. And that's one of the lullabies that I have in the back of the book. I'm sorry, but uh, I have an appendix what, with a bunch of lullabies that I recommend parents sing to their kids. What do you remember any of them by any chance? Uh, let me think. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Uh, do you, uh, you know, and, and maybe, you know, as you tell us about it, why don't we, um, if there are any babies listening, mm-hmm. now might be a good time to sort of put them to sleep. So, so go ahead and do your lullaby. Death will come. Death will come. Can't evade it, my baby. You are doomed. But don't worry. You may have a long, fruitful life. But you'll die someday. And people will cry. Don't be sad. Just know that they too will die. And that's when you smash the glass. <laughs> it's just like a punctuation. Yeah. That, I would think that would wake the baby back up. It does. It does. And that's the other thing you want to teach a kid. Is, is what? Just to, to, anything could happen at any moment. Be ready to go, go, yeah, go. Yeah, always, be, always have a go bag. Always be ready to, to, to leap out the window. Something could happen at yep. any second. Do not relax. Someday there will be someone in your closet or under your bed. Quite possibly. I like to establish that early on. That's why you want to teach them fear and panic. Now, and- your, your, your bedtime routine is, is that you, you and the, the kids, especially at a young age, like to set a perimeter. We set a perimeter. Uh, you know, we, we have toy claymores. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, it's funny at first because you got to teach the kids to face one side of the claymore towards the enemy. It'll say this, right. this side towards enemy. And so we set that up and then, you know, I, before I, I'll kiss him goodnight and then I'll go to the closet and I'll open up the closet and I'll look inside and I'll just say, oh my God. And I'll close the closet. And then I'll say, just be careful. I think he's in there. And that's when I leave the room. <laughs> and you have the most prepared and also very wired and they're, they're both balding. They're 16 and 13 and balding, but the most prepared children I've ever met. Yeah, they are. They are ready. I mean, they are ready to go at any, at, at a moment's notice. I mean, sometimes I just walk into the room and my son leaps out the window <laughs> because he, he thinks like something is happening. Like there's an earthquake or something. So I, I've it's got, happening. and I'm so proud. I mean, I, you know, I, I have them just a uh, uh, hair trigger response. I mean, they just, you know, they turn on the light, they scatter like cockroaches. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and you said you've had some incidents when like the doorbell has rang at your house and, and the boys have been home. What, what's happened in those moments? We got a package and the, the mailman rang the doorbell and, mm-hmm. you know, and was very surprised when my 14 year old uh, landed on his shoulders. So he had, <laughs> what he had done, he had crawled out a window and jumped out from the top, assuming that we were being attacked by radical mm-hmm. Islam. <laughs> The, the doorbell made him think this was the attack from radical Islam. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the cash. So the doorbell I got uh, from an online store. And when you press it, it says, and so it's like a, it does sound like somebody is attacking. And so in all fairness, he, he's, he was right to do what he did. Did the, did the mailman understand that? No. Mm-hmm. Was he a little bitter about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I bet you guys stopped getting a lot of like Christmas cards and stuff. I mean, he just leaves this stuff uh, outside. Like usually I'll find it like blowing down the street. You know, back to sort of these early days of parenting, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do? So I really like the protecting, um, protecting your wife like that. Um, what then, you know, as you're doing your first days of child rearing, once you're out of the hospital, right? That sort of sure. is that moment where it's like, oh my gosh, there aren't nurses who can then change the diaper yeah. for me or ah, that moment where like, oh my gosh, I'm alone. How do you, what are some tips for getting through those rough first days of like, I don't know what I'm doing? Well, it's, you know, it's, it is a total shock. Uh, it's important not to make eye contact with the baby uh, no. because they can read your, at that age, they can read your thoughts and they oh, know God. they, they'll like learn all your secrets and absorb all that. Really? And they, yeah. And they'll use it later. They'll blackmail you when they're old enough. And so you have oh, to be God. very careful. So you just kind of look away and, okay. you know, and you do your diapering. You eventually learn to stop putting the diaper on their face and you'll, you'll figure out what's what. Um, and you just change, and I'd like to change the diaper every 20 to 25 minutes. Just oh, wow. Cause I'm not a sniffer. You have some people who would hold up the baby and just kind of sniff the diaper and be sure. like, okay, it's time to change the diaper. I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't like that. I, I just, mm-hmm. well, I just assume they've done it and I'll just change the diaper. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, but so sometimes you said though, you have, um, the diaper on the head. Now, does that complicate the feeding process? It does. Yep. Yeah. You just turn mm-hmm. them upside down. Uh huh. Okay. Wait a minute. So you're not. So so you're not feeding them in their mouth. No. What? So so how do how do they get their nutrients? Well, I mean the the breast milk will leak down the body and go into the diaper, turning <laughs> the diaper into a milk sponge. And then whenever the kid's in the mood, they just gnaw on the diaper. <laughs> so what you're saying is that what Rob needs to know is that babies have incredible resiliency. They're very, very resilient. That's good. And, and when did you stop doing this? Oh, uh, when we got the court order. Say, so, hey, Brian. Yeah, Jack. Hey, hey, I'm matching your excitement. You really are today. So, you know... I know what a prolific screenwriter you are. You're really just one of America's underappreciated, most prolific screenwriters sort of working today. I am a writing machine. You really are. So many um, screenplays that you, you know, are in the process of writing, Mm -hmm. selling, getting made. Just, you just, you produce, how many screenplays would you say you produce in a year? Uh, How many weeks are there in a year? 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, I average usually around, you know, two screenplays a week. So, wow. uh, 52 times two, 80. <laughs> good, 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 good. So that's perfect. Um, so with that in mind, I, I you know, I, I, did, I had your wife go into your computer as mm-hmm. a little, uh, you know, cause I thought it'd be fun for the, for the podcast and, and read off from your, um, your list of like most recent screenplays that yep. you had been working on in the final draft program. Mm-hmm. And, and she sent me an email with all of the titles of the movies you've been working on. I was wondering if you maybe could tell us about some of the movies that you're working on, uh, based on the title, uh, that I've gotten from your wife. Of course. I would love to oh. share the movie plots from the titles that you were given by my wife. 
Great, 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 great. So the first one, and I, I like that you're going big, is called Star Trek Kirk. And and I believe um, this is a a Star Trek movie that you've written. Yes. That actually has William Shatner in it because William Shatner is is remarkably still alive. Yes. Yep. Star Trek so, Kirk. Yeah. So, so Star Trek Kirk, you, you want to tell us about that? Because, uh, you know, William Shatner is um, 89 years old. Yeah. He's an oldie, as we call him. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's that movie about? Well, um, so basically Star Trek Kirk, uh, and it was inspired by, I, I, I was watching a news piece about Kirk Cameron. <laughs> and then for some reason that just inspired me to write this screenplay one night. And so it's about Kirk and, you know, it's Captain Kirk and he's, he's retired from the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Okay. But mm-hmm. um, he's, 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 and he lives by himself. He never married. And, okay. you know, he's older and he's, he's got prostate issues <laughs> and he's sick and tired of getting up four times a night to use the bathroom. Yeah. It's driving him crazy. Of course. But he hears that the Romulans have a device and it's called the prostatatron <laughs> and it's highly secret. Uh-huh. And he convinces the the new captain of the USS Enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, and her name is uh, Janet, and she is um, <laughs> she's a polyamorous bisexual uh, with a Bangladeshi heritage. <laughs> I mean, it's not diverse enough, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. Nickel and dime here. Keep, keep going. They did just enough to qualify for an Oscar. And <laughs> so he and her are going to fly to Romula, which is hopefully the name of the planet. <laughs> I don't like to do a mm-hmm. lot of research when I'm writing my scripts. Well, how, how can you with it to get 120 pages written in a week? Yeah, it, it takes a lot of time away to do tons and tons of research. But I'm assuming in the yeah. Star Trek canon, Romula is the planet. And yeah. uh, and so he they're, they're going to fly there to find the prostatatron. And of course, there's all the usual hijinks with the Wookiees <laughs> and you know, Ewoks. And, and, you know, but they're cute and adorable. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you don't like to do your research. And uh, I, okay, great. So, so do they find the prostatatron, and and how do and how does it end? They do find the prostatatron, and you know he's and he's basically at the end he swipes it from the Romulan. Okay, and 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 does the he does a karate chop on the Romulan, which is the 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 two hands locked together. Yep, which, which you know a lot of martial arts experts would say would break all your fingers. <laughs> but uh, not Captain Kirk. He's perfected this this blow, and so he oh, strikes the Romulan on the back of the head. Uh, the Romulan do- drops the prostatatron, and in an, an homage to an earlier Star Trek, uh, he puts the prostatatron in his ear, and then it climbs oh. into his ear and makes its way down to his prostate, which then <laughs> becomes a twenty third century prostate, which does not require him to get up anymore. And so Janet flies him back to home 
and transports him down to his bedroom and he climbs into bed and he says, finally, a full night's sleep. And then the next morning you see the sunrise in the window and the camera pans and there he is staring up at the ceiling. He passed away because it was such an adventure. <laughs> That's the final voyage of Captain James C. Kirk. Yes. <laughs> he dies satisfied in his sleep because he doesn't have to pee anymore. Yeah. And the smile on his face is something for, for cinema history. Or, <laughs> or maybe he shouldn't have let a creature into his ear to climb down to his, uh, uh, you know, lower region. Well, that's, that, that's the thing you never, you know, it kind of leaves you wondering, like, did the prostatatron destroy his body organs on the way down? <laughs> <laughs> Just clearing it out like a bulldozer going on down south. It's Romulan tech. Who knows? So it might very well have just carved like a three quarters of an inch hole all the way down through his body before Did you- fusing <laughs> with his prostate. <laughs> Did you not account for the fact that human and Romulan biology is different? <laughs> I don't have a lot of time to research Romulan biology. You know, they, Right, fewer screenplays. They have weirder eyebrows and ears, but I mean, aside from that, I assume the inside was all the same. Oh, man. All right, Star Trek Kirk. Uh, and <laughs> and you wrote that because you saw a news piece on Kirk Cameron? Yeah. Just put it in my head. What? <laughs> That's I, I'm not, I don't even want to know what network that was on. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on um, to an original. I lo- I know you love um, biopics. Yes, and and you've clearly written one. It's called Margarita Vile, the Jimmy Buffett story. Yes. Wow, it sounds like it's a scathing. It sounds like a, a pretty scathing uh, story of Jimmy Buffett. Tell us about Margarita Vile, the yeah. Jimmy Buffett story. Well, he, he you know, he's known as kind of this you know f- happy-go-lucky, fun-loving guy living on the beach, you know, tiki torches and and Margaritaville and had cheeseburger in paradise and you know yep. flip flops and all that nonsense. But I, I really did a deep dive into this guy. Okay, and I found a ton of stuff. And, and so it's, it's basically, I mean, it's, it's going to change the way you see Jimmy Buffett. Well, share, share the story, share his story. Well, first of all, uh, he's French and his last name is actually pronounced Buffet. (laughs) And, you know, he, he denied his French heritage. Oh man. And he, he told his French parents, you know, I don't never want to see you guys again. He's a okay. ter- he speaks terrible English. That's another thing. You, you would think his English is good and it's not. He only does, that's okay. for show. The good English is for show. He talks oh, like- That's an, weird that he can control it. Yeah. He talks like an incredibly uneducated, per, kind of like Lejualensa in Polish. Okay. He just sounds like a, a beet farmer if you, if you hear his Polish. But- um, no, which, which we all have. Again, I, I, I'm just always so grateful that you make our podcast so darn relatable. Um, and so Jimmy Buffet leaves France Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. his family owned a vineyard and, uh, but, but as he's leaving the vineyard, he sprays all the, 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 uh, grapes with Roundup. (laughs) 
destroys the vineyard. And the parents like, why, why did you do this, Jimmy? Of course, in French, why did you do this, Jimmy? You know, why, why, why? Yeah. And, and he's just like sayonara suckers and they don't know Japanese, so they don't even know what he's saying. And then he comes. Oh yeah. A mixture of Japanese and English. Yeah. And then he comes to the United States and he Mm -hmm. moves down to Key West. Mm Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where he thought Kanye West lives. (laughs) Which of course is stupid. Yeah. That was a stupid mistake on his part. But, you know, he, he, and he shows up in Key West and he's got no money. Mm-hmm. So he just, but he does know how to play guitar. Oh. So he just walks up and down the, with a guitar and down the beach. And he bumps into people. Okay. And then drops his guitar and says, you broke my guitar string. You owe me $20. <laughs> and that's how he made money. Okay. It was a grift. How long did he do this grift? Seven years. <laughs> And then okay. he, uh, he saw a guy sitting on a beach near a bonfire playing this song, uh, Margaritaville, Wasting Away Again in Margaritaville. And he loved mm-hmm. the song. And he watched, okay. watches the guy near the bonfire. And, uh, the, and, the guy, and he, he asked the guy to play the song again and again and again and again. And, and finally, he memorized the lyrics. And that's <laughs> when he struck the guy in the back of the head with a burning log. Poor guy stumbles into the bonfire and mm-hmm. is never seen again because he's, he's con- completely burned. I mean, he's, he disappears, vanishes. But that's <laughs> when Jimmy uh, took that song mm-hmm. and went to the studio. Man. And he bumped into the studio owner, dropped his guitar mm-hmm. and said, you broke my guitar string. You owe me an album. And the guy fell for it? The guy fell for it. He's very persuasive, oh. Jimmy. Well, well, thank goodness he did. I mean, for that studio owner who then Jimmy would go on to record, you know, one of the more popular songs uh, in America. Yeah, it's this, you know, it made him what he is, which is a, a demonic, evil, terrible person. <laughs> and that's off the album Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes from 1977. Right. Yep. Why did he call it that? Well, um, Changes in Latitudes, obviously, because he emigrated from France. Yep. <laughs> down, to, down to Key West uh, and changes in attitudes because he, he decided he was going to put on this persona of a fun loving, nice guy who just wants oh. to sit on the beach and sip a margarita and uh, stumble around in his flip flops. <laughs> and uh, how does the film end? The film ends with him. He's at the Vatican <laughs> playing guitar. <laughs> And uh-huh. he, he bumps into Pope Francis, drops his mm-hmm. guitar, says, you broke my guitar <laughs> string. Now you have to be pro-abortion. <laughs> well, you dragged the abortion debate into the movie? He's a terror. He just, you know, he's, you should hear him on the death penalty and gun control. <laughs> it's terrible. I don't want to see that movie. It sounds awful. All right. Margarita Vile, the Jimmy Buffett story. Thank you for sharing that, Brian. I'm a pleasure. What about this one? Uh, I saw this movie that uh, your wife sent over. It's called Kill Tom Volume One. Yes, Kill Tom Volume One. So I, what, I'm, a, I'm a, well, I'm a huge uh, Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah, and so I just I just changed a few things around, and but it's about uh, Tom Arnold, <laughs> and it's about a, an assassin who goes after people for being morbidly obese. 
<laughs> just a mean spirited assassin. God. And, and, and the movie revolves around just getting Tom Arnold. Yeah. Well, cause the, the assassin is actually cholesterol. <laughs> it's played by Val Kilmer. So Val, Val Kilmer plays cholesterol <laughs> and he comes to, to find Tom Arnold. Uh huh. He's like a grim reaper of cholesterol. <laughs> okay. Is, is he that fat though anymore? I told you I don't do research. <laughs> I write my movies when they come to me, knowing uh-huh. what I know at the time. You know, hey. I, <laughs> I wrote a movie for Wilford Brimley two days ago, not knowing that he's been dead. What was that movie? The old man becomes a boxer. All right. What happened in that movie quickly? Well, Wilford Brimley uh, is older and then decides he wants to go back into the ring. (laughs) And so he just starts training and there's a huge montage of him kind of like Rocky where he's just, you know, eating, training, jump roping, uh, punching his stomach. Yeah you know, hitting himself with, with bricks and stuff. And yeah. Um, and so I had this whole film. It was all, it was a Wilford Brimley vehicle. It was to, <laughs> to launch him again. And, and then I okay. find out he he's, he's deceased. And I'm just kind of like, I ripped up the script. I was very sad. God, that's that tragedy upon a tragedy. That's yeah. the worst kind. Yeah, that is. That's right. Yep. How did that movie end? Well, you look up, you see the sunrise. <laughs> And then the camera pans and Wilford Brimley's lying in bed, staring up at the ceiling because his prostate gave out. If only it was the year 2300 when we had Romulan tech. Yeah. Well, just at that that very moment, like a transporter beam makes him disappear and you're just left wondering what's going on. See, I... Foolish me. I forget that all of your movies, regardless of genre and character, all exist in the same universe. Yeah, it's the Brian verse. Yep. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, okay, last last film. Yep. <sighs> okay, let's see here. Oh man, this is strange. I don't know what your deal is with these this crew. <laughs> but tell me about the movie that you wrote called The Muppets Ghetto Invasion. <laughs> Yeah, that one. Yeah, the Muppets Ghetto Invasion. Why do you always write these Muppet movies? They're not making them anymore, bro. Uh, you know, I just, I keep, I'm hopeful. I, I'm obviously, you know, I'm obsessed with Muppets because you keep mentioning these Muppet titles all the time. And uh, yeah, the, the, the Muppets Ghetto Invasion, it's, <laughs> it's set in, in, uh, in Warsaw <laughs> during World War II and and basically, um, I've made all the Muppets Jewish, and they're in the a Warsaw ghetto. Okay. And um, and then Kermit, who's leader of of the resistance, realizes, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't do something, um, they're doomed. Yeah. And so he he stands up, he gives a big speech, saying, you know, that we're, you know we're all doomed, and um, you know if and we might as well fight back and show these Nazis uh, what we've got. So the you know Kermit comes up with an idea to fight back against the Nazis. Awesome. Uh which is that they're going to uh, grow banana trees 
<laughs> and then take the bananas and just and take them off and use the banana peels kind of as a weapon, throw them underneath the feet of the Nazis and the Nazis will slip. And there's all sorts of crazy chaos. You know, Brian, I love that you're really capturing the spirit of the Muppets yeah. now. That's such a Muppet plan. It's a zany plan. So, of course, they go through hell and high water to obtain banana plant seeds. <laughs> I could imagine. Um, and then, you know, and then they, they get soil and they plant the banana trees and they wait. But unfortunately, time is not on their side. <laughs> and the Warsaw climate is terrible for bananas. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. As they hear the Germans outside the, the Warsaw ghetto assembling, they realize the banana tree, which is only like at this point, still just a little sprig sticking out of the ground is not going to save them. Mm -hmm. So then they just charge at the Germans. <laughs> it's a last ditch effort. Oh my God. What a, what a climactic, exciting, heroic ending. What, what happens? Well, I mean, it, there's, you know, in most cases, they're immediately gunned down where they stand, but Cookie Monster manages to get in and actually bite the throat out of, uh, of one of the Nazi commandants. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. Yeah. And so you see him screaming and running with blood pouring out of his thing. And, uh, and then he's, you know, Cookie Monster dies in a hail of gunfire, but he's got the glory. Wow. And, and, and so what, like, but, and how does it end? I mean, like, so, okay, we've, we've lost a lot of them. I mean, does, does Kermit do anything? Does, like, what's the final shot of the movie? Well, the I mean, image that we're left with. Well, Kermit actually escapes. Yes. Yes. So Kermit makes it, he survives and he lives to, he goes on tour to tell the story of living through that, mm -hmm. uh, through the, the Warsaw ghetto and the Nazi occupation. And, um, and then he, he's a survivor and then you see the sunrise and the camera pans over and Kermit's there <laughs> staring at the ceiling mm -hmm. and then the transporter takes him away. So you don't know if he's alive <laughs> or dead. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, that's, um, was that a movie I would want to take my kids to? That's a question I asked myself many times and I thought, yeah, it's important to let the kids know that cookie monster can kill you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so is this just you teaching um, kids to be, to eat more healthy? Uh, the, is it, is it a, a parable about diabetics? Yes, it was a, you know, cookies kill is the message that I wanted to convey. Okay. Well, Brian, um, thank you so much for sharing all of your screenplays. That's, um, they, they sound fantastic. I can't wait uh, to go to movies again and to see some of your films. Thanks, Jack. You're welcome, Brian. You know, and as we bring the podcast to a close, Brian, um, this episode, uh, I noticed, and you have noticed too, that we've gotten some incredible new reviews and uh, we deeply appreciate it, don't you think? Our reviews are great. They're actually helpful because the, they help the algorithm decide what podcasts are actually worth listening to. If you could just tell two friends, write us a nice review, leave us five stars. If, uh, if you feel we've earned it, that would be huge. No. Why, why would you undercut me right at the end of this? Like we, we had it. Just, we had it until you said that. It just, just felt like the right thing to do. Now. <sighs>
That was Questionable Material with Jack and Brian. Follow the podcast to get every episode. Our website is qmpodcast.com. Our email is contact at qmpodcast.com. 